Take your Bible and go to the book of Acts. For many, many weeks we've been preaching through Acts, and then we took a break and had some guests and preached about revival, and now we're returning to where we left off in the 20th chapter of Acts. Paul has come to Miletus, just 50 miles south of Ephesus. He called the Ephesian elders down to have a talk. And he said, you're not going to see my face anymore. And he spoke to them. He warned them that after he left, there are going to be wolves and weasels coming into church. You remember that? We preached about that. Then he comes to the end of his word to these elders. And we pick it up in Acts 20, beginning in verse 32 to the end of the chapter. You follow along with me as I read, because this now is the word of our great God. Paul is continuing with the elders that had come from Ephesus to Miletus. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Look back up in verse 32. And now I commend, I commend you to God. Paratithomy is the word. Para on the front end of that word, which means to be beside. Tithomy, which is our little word that means to place or to put, to put something beside you. Keep these words close to you. Paul is saying, I'm commending these things to you, so keep them close. There are words that are spoken into our lives from time to time that go with us from the moment we receive them until the end of our life. We keep them close. As a young seminary student, Roy Fish was such an impact on my life. Our professor of evangelism, I was in his office one day and I said, Dr. Fish, I just, it's just the hardest time of my life. I, I, this is just so difficult. I don't know if I'm going to, I can't even hear God. Roy Fish said to me, young man, all through your life you will have days when the Bible is like a stone 
and the heavens are like brass. Persist, and God will open his book and roll back the heavens for you in due time. And when I have those times when I can't hear from heaven or even seem to get anything out of the book, I, I remember Dr. Fish just down Olive Road after a hurricane. I went to Loma West's house. I was helping our church, but I was in a personal storm. Miss Loma, you see the sign out here on the side of the building. It says the West Annex Building, and everybody thinks that's a directional sign. It's not. It's named after Loma's husband, Mr. West. That widow who was on the search committee that brought me here, she looked at me and she said, Young man, you are the pastor. Don't forget it. Now get up and lead us where we need to go. And when Loma spoke, all the angels stood at attention. <laughs> I've kept that word close. And of course, as a kid preacher, when my daddy and I've shared with you, when I came home and told him God called me to preach, I said, I believe I know what God wants me to do. And Delta Nate's trailer, my father, looked at me and said, Son, if you know what God has for you to do, you better get about doing it. Never forgotten those words. Kept them close. Paul gives us some words here that the church needs to keep close. He gives to these elders, to the leaders, some words he needs to keep close. He didn't want to go up to Ephesus, so he stopped in the port at Miletus and, and called for the elders. He sent a text, and they got it. No, he had to send somebody. And they went 50 miles up there to Ephesus. According to how you go, if you go by land, it'd be 72 miles. If you took a boat across the inlet harbor and then hit land and wind it's a little shorter but it's about a three to four day journey either way and somebody went up and told the elders Paul's in Miletus he'd like to have a talk they gathered up the leaders the elders and down they came to Miletus and Paul began to share his soul with them and in the end of his talk he said I commend this to you I want you to keep this close what are those words that he said, keep close? There are three of them. First of all, he gives them what I call a word about grace. Grace. Never forget grace. Notice what he said there in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his charis, his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul said about this word grace, keep it close. He said three or four things about grace in, in this text. He said, first of all, don't forget saving grace. Dear friend, if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you'll go there by grace or you'll not go. For by grace are you saved. Preacher, what is grace? That's the love of God that you don't deserve. 
we don't deserve, that we're sinners, every one of us, some better at it than others, but we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? All the sinners say amen. amen. Everybody didn't say amen, run to the altar. <laughs> Confess your lying soul to God. Because we all, we all need grace. God commended His grace to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to what Paul said about that when he wrote to young Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, he said, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, he tried to kill the church, and a violent aggressor, that's who Paul was, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, look at it, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. You say, preacher, I'm so bad. Oh, friend, the grace of God is more than abundant to save you. And then to Titus, he wrote not only to young Timothy, but to young Titus about grace when he said in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 7, this was my good friend Eddie Ashari's favorite verse in all of the Bible, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Saving grace. Dear friend, if you've never been saved, you don't know you're going to heaven. If you're listening to me online to their television, you've, you've never bowed and said, God, save me. Ask him today, and he will do it. He loves you. You don't deserve it, but he loves you. There's saving grace, but this text says there's more than that. Not only is there saving grace, there's strengthening grace. Notice what he said, that the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 9 says that God's grace is sufficient. Friend, I don't know what you're walking through today, but I can, hear, I can tell you right now, God's grace is sufficient to get you through. You say, I don't know if I'll make Oh, yeah. If you'll lean on the arm of the Lord rather than trusting yourself, His grace is sufficient, and He will strengthen you for the journey. Paul said, don't forget saving grace. Don't forget strengthening grace. He said, thirdly, don't forget securing grace. Notice it right here in the text. It's not only able to build you up, but give you an inheritance, an inheritance. You don't deserve the inheritance, but God gives it to you by grace, and that secures you. That inheritance for us is heaven. Say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm going. Well, quit trusting what you do and start trusting what Jesus has already done. We've been singing about it all morning, about what he did, and he secures our inheritance in heaven. I have people all the time ask me about my mother. Many of you did even this morning coming in. I love mother and thank God for her. She's probably watching this this morning. They usually watch us over at the place where she is. People ask me, say, where's your mother staying? I said, she's in the inheritance. I, I mean over in the uh, residence. <laughs> Not cheap to stay over there. I kid about that. You see, the inheritance is not something you deserve. It's something someone gives you. Friend, you don't deserve heaven, but grace gives you heaven. It gives you the inheritance of going to glory when you die. It's saving grace. It's strengthening grace. It's securing. It's sanctifying grace. Notice he said right here in verse 32, not only able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are what? 
sanctified, hagios, that are holy, that are set apart. I listened to my uh, hero this week, Dr. Adrian Rogers, and he preached a sermon on this word, and he entitled it, Do Not Disgrace Grace. Amen. Don't live your life in the flesh so that you disgrace grace, but live a holy and set-apart life unto Jesus. So Paul says to these people, I commend to you the word of grace. Never forget grace. Grace will save you. Hallelujah. And it sets you apart and strengthens and secures and sanctifies. The ladies from the Karis house are here to wave at me. Ladies, they're over here today. They usually come to 11 o'clock, but they're here early today. When we started this ministry, they said, well, we're going to call it. And I said, we're going to call it the Karis House. And nobody in Pensacola can pronounce it. It's been called a million different things. Half the people that live there can't pronounce it. But I named it, and it's going to be that till I die, and somebody can change it. It's the Grace House. That's the word, Karis. It's the same word that we get charismatic out of. Charismatic is not speaking in tongues. That's glossolalia. Charismatic is charis, grace, mata, gift. I'm a charismatic. Let it be known far and wide. Your pastor's a charismatic. I have grace gifts. If you're saved, you're a charismatic. Mata, gift, charis, grace. I didn't ask for it. God gave it. That's by grace. He saved me and gave me a gift. You've got a gift if you're saved. Always remember these girls that are out here, these ladies, these young women, we receive them. They don't deserve it. They're sinners. They can't pay for it. We pay for it. Why? We show them grace. Never disgrace grace. And ladies, when you leave us, don't disgrace grace. Let grace continue to come. You know, if truth be known, the Karis house is really not out here. This is the Karis house where God's people come and find grace. You've never been saved day when I give the invitation in a minute. You walk right down here. Give me your hand. Give God your heart. And I'm telling you, grace, grace, marvelous grace, amazing grace. You get saved today. The word about grace. Secondly, though, uh, Paul says to these elders, keep close the word about grace. Then he says, let me give you a word about not grace, but about giving. About giving. Well, it's one of the last things he said. Notice it in verse 33. He said, I've not coveted any man's silver, gold, or clothes, and you know that these hands have ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Paul says work. Hey, work. If you're going to work, work. Now, we got a whole ministry that tries to help the homeless and uh, reaching out. But I, I'm, it, and I know there's a lot of mental issue people but man when I see people that are young and got big muscles and 
I just think you ought to be able to work. I mean, we help people. We're going to keep helping people. I took my wife out for a lovely dinner this week. We, we went to the Waffle House. <laughs> and it's where she wanted to go. She, she said, let's go. We like to go to the Waffle House on Friday night because there ain't nobody else going on Friday night. We just about got to. We went in there, and there was a young man waiting our table and fixing our meal. He was the only dude working. Now, before we left, there was a couple others came in for the late shift, evidently, but we tipped him 100 bucks. Thanked him for waiting our table, bringing our food, filling our drink glasses, cooking our eggs and bacon, throwing a little extra on the potatoes. <laughs> he did that for a tipty. I handed him a card and he said, Is that that church down? I said, Yes, sir. And he named two of our people. He said, These two, and he named, he said, They've been trying to get me to come. And he said, I'm working to try to get enough money that I can buy me a used car so I've got a way to get around town. The first thing I'm going to do when I get me a car is I'm coming to Olive Baptist Church. That's what Paul said to work. Work. Frying bacon, eggs. Work. God will make a way. And then he says, after you work, learn to give. And he quotes Jesus and he says, we need to remember the words of Jesus who himself said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's what many people call the lost beatitude. That's not found anywhere in the Gospels. But Paul said, we heard it, and it's in, if you've got one of those books that puts the words of Jesus in red, then this is in red right here for you. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's the lost beatitude. We don't know when he said it. I got to thinking this week. Brother Rob, I got to being a little creative. And I said, I wonder where Jesus said it's more blessed to give this to receive. Because we don't know. But I began to go back through. I wonder if it was in the temple that day when he saw the widow put in those little copper coins. I wonder if Jesus just, they didn't record it, but he said, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I don't know if that's when he said it or not. I, I began to think, I wonder if, if over in, in John 6, when Jesus said, sit all these people down, there's several thousand, and we're going to feed them, and, and the disciples said, well, how are we going to do it? We, we got to go down here to the Dollar General Market and get it. And we, He said, just have him said, he said, what have you got? They said, well, we got a little boy here. And he, 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 he's got some loaves and fish. He said, well, bring me those five pieces of bread and those two fish. And he prayed, and you know the story. I just wondered when they took up those 12 basketfuls after it was over, if Jesus said, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I don't know if that's when he said it or not, but I can tell you this, he said it, and what Paul is saying to the elders and what he's saying to Olive today is, never forget to work, to use your hands, to save your money, and always be generous. Generous. 
To whom much is given, much is required. Now, I challenged our church last week. I'm looking for 90 people to give me $10,000 in the month of September so we can pay off this early learning center and get all of that done. Olive doesn't have any debt now, and the ministry village has got that million dollars. We need to pay it off. And you say, well, I, I'll be one. I've had several men that come say, count on me, count on me. So I can't give that money. Well, you do what you can. Last Sunday I preached, and I gave that appeal. I was standing right here, and a little girl, she couldn't have been eight or nine, she walked up to me with her fist wadded up. She said, Pastor, can I give to help with what you talked about? I said, well, sure. And so she had to, I just took it and stuck it in my pocket. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if her daddy sent her down here with a check. Or... So I went on out and I Gotten before I got my car reached down, and I had two dollars, two dimes, and a nickel. I had two twenty-five. I brought that to Jeremy Portman, our administrator. I said, "Put this in the September fund." I said, "Cause when we get close, this is going to get us over." I wonder if somebody could double that little girl's offering. And then I wonder if somebody else could double that next person's offering. And then if somebody could double that next offering. If we'll just all do what we're supposed to do every Sunday with our tithe and our offering and at special occasions like we've got coming up, God's going to take care of His church. We just have to be faithful with our work and with our offering unto the Lord. Paul said to these people, here's a word about grace, never forget it. He said, here's a word about giving, never forget it. But thirdly, in verses 36, 37, 38, he said, here's a word about grieving, about grieving, never forget this word. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed. If you'd like to kneel down and pray with me at 6 o'clock in the Corners building, this is our pray first Sunday. Every first Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we meet out here in the Corners. And, and you come, join me tonight at 6 o'clock, and we will kneel down and we will pray. And there Paul knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud. They hugged him, they embraced Paul, and they kissed him. Grieving, verse 38 says, especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. This is such an interesting word, verse 38, grieving. It's only one of three times that this word is used in the New Testament. The word grief, other words, are, but only three times this word is used. Here is the first one. The second one, is when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus in the temple. They said to the young child, Jesus, 
We are grieved. You've, you've caused us to grieve that we lost you. It's like they had lost their child. If you've ever lost a child in death or in Walmart, you know grief. Where is the child? The third time it's used is in Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says that the rich man lifted up his soul in hell, in agony. That's this word. He was grieved. He was agonizing that he had lost heaven. He had missed heaven. Paul said, don't ever lose grief. Friend, grief is good. Not the thing that happens. That's not good. But if your soul ever loses the capability to grieve, you've become so hard-hearted. You can't cry. You can't cry we must learn to grieve. The Bible says the hearers wept because he was leaving. Paul preached with tears. Verse 31 tells us a little earlier that when he, he preached and taught them, he wept over them. And then the hearers wept over him as he was leaving. This morning, Mike Dimmick at Warrington brought another big load of those people from NAS Pensacola. I saw a little video of it. Thank God for that. Do you know we rejoice over those uh, young military folks coming to be at church. We rejoice, but somebody's mama sent them off and grieved about them leaving. If they go off to war, mama will grieve even deeper. Hmm. Students will have 40 high school seniors in the next service come by, and I'll give them a book, this book right here, Pilgrim's Progress, giving every kid Pilgrim's Progress this year. We've not done that before. Everybody ought to read Bunyan. And then those mamas and daddies are going to rejoice, but then they're going to send them off to college, and when they do, they're going to grieve. They're gone. Will they go to church? Will they run with the right crowd? Will they stay true to what I taught them? You see, when a soldier departs, we grieve. When a student departs, we grieve. When servants depart to go on mission, we send them around the world, let them come home every seven years. They go and, oh, now you can FaceTime and send a text in time and all that, but there's still nothing like that servant pressing their face to your face and feeling those hot tears run down their face. Church never, ever forget how to grieve I've, I've shared with people 
I mean, I'm an only child. I've never had guts enough to ask my mom and daddy why. I'm, I'm fearful of the answer, and daddy's in heaven, and mama can't think much, and so I, I, I don't know, but I know. <laughs> well, I grieved when daddy died, but I, I never grieved very much. I grieved more over Beth Harris' death than I've ever grieved in my life. This is unexpected. Never had a brother or sister to die. Daddy was 94. It was time. But there's some deep grief you walk through. Don't be sad about that. You, you weep. But rejoice that your soul can feel. Because if you're so hard-hearted that you can't feel... then you need to repent. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry out. It's part of the journey. So we're going to give these kids this book. You ever read Bunyan? Pilgrim's Progress? It's phenomenal. It's, it's the story of a dream Bunyan had now, now remember, this guy got saved and spent 12 years in jail for the gospel. We thank God for jail because that's where the book came from. The dream, and he began to write and talk about Christian who left the city of destruction and was headed to the celestial city, and boy, did he have some pit stops to make in between. On our Warrington campus, we've got a small group of high schoolers down there graduating today, and we're going to encourage them. I began to think about Bunyan and the progress, the pilgrim. We, we make a progression. And so I began to think back to my own progression. I've, I've made a progression. Hey. I brought props today. Nineteen seventy two, fifty one years ago. Amen. You can smell this puppy, I guarantee. <laughs> so my senior year, I was a young preacher, and I wore this everywhere I went. I didn't care if it was 100 degrees. I wore it. And then when it really got cold, I had a jacket just like it. This was my football sweater, but I had a basketball jacket. And I began to think about my own pilgrim's progress. And everywhere I went in high school, I carried this book. It's my first preaching Bible. I preached from Sunday morning till Friday night when I was a student, and I put it right here. 
This Bible was purchased with the $50 I was given for preaching all week in the Flat Rock, Alabama church. They gave me 50 bucks. That was in those days that I said, I know you can't, I will, no, you can't pay me to preach. I won't take an offering. I got over that. <laughs> but this is how I made my pilgrim's progress. I wore my colors. I waved my flag. I could be arrogant about either one because I was young. God was honing me and growing me up. I went back to Pisgah School a few weeks ago, and the principal who is now there is the son of a boy I played football with in high school. And he had two of these sweaters, a red one and a white one, hanging in his office. I said, tell me. He said, that's my daddy's sweater. And then he had one that was his uncle's who died in Vietnam. Dear friend, we all make a pilgrim's progress. But if you're going to make the pilgrimage, you've got to take the first step. The first step is coming to Jesus and doing what Bunyan said and unloading the sin off your back and casting it on Christ. Then you walk in perfection, oh goodness, no. You walk through despondency in the valley of the shadow of death and you, you walk all these ways, but, but one day, there it is. Go knock on it. We go into the city. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going in. And the king, not the king of England, the king of the universe, welcome home, my child. Welcome home. Until then, we're just pilgrims a-passing through. Sometimes wearing an arrogant sweater. Sometimes, well, these little things on this, I could brag for 30 minutes. There's other little buttons I've taken off. Got my first kiss right here with this right here. Brother Mark, don't all laugh at me. Amen. Yeah. You remember, don't you? Don't you? That's all right. She's not the one. It's okay. Just, just say it. She's already forgiven you. What I'm trying to tell you is make sure on the journey you're waving the flag. It's okay to wear the colors. Just wave the flag. Because we're in a journey. Paul was in this journey. This is the last time the elders would see him. And they knelt down and they wept. Come kneel down with me tonight and weep.
But before we get there, come join me right here at this altar today. Come join me. We receive you into the church. Come join me. Come and be a part of the family. Today, come and say yes to Jesus. Come and say, Pastor, it's time for me to be counted a part of the olive group right here. Come, wave your Jesus flag, and let's walk together like pilgrims on a journey. Let's stand together. Father, we stand before you and bless you and praise you, give you glory and honor, and ask you, Father, to do a good work in us. Add to the church, add to the kingdom, save the lost, encourage the saved, build the church. Thank you for grace. Grace, amazing, marvelous grace, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.